Welcome back to another edition of the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. Today, I continue on my recent uh, trend of absolutely sucking at this because I have another episode that I recorded months ago that needs to be um, released. And unfortunately, it, it's not really fair that I've been sitting on this one for so long because this was such a great conversation. Um, I think this might be one of my more entertaining whiskey conversations. I had so much fun having this conversation. Um, I'm, I'm chatting on this one with Jamie Beal from Treaty Oak. Treaty Oak is a Texas bourbon. Um, and you know what? Like her knowledge is unbelievable. Um, it, she definitely brought language to a level that I could understand because you could tell that she has such a in-depth knowledge of this um, that she probably could have just blown my doors off with the information she could have shared. So I was very appreciative of her um, using language that would resonate with me and, uh, and my listeners. So uh, she was awesome. I had a lot of fun talking with her. Um, she definitely has opened up the invitation for me to go to Austin and check their place out. And I'm going to do that. Um, because all I could think about was was barbecue and whiskey. So I'm in. Um, so, so tree oak, right? When I got this box from them, I open this up and I see the, uh, this is the single barrel, right? Uh, this is their ghost hill. And I was really excited to try this out. And then I kind of dig into the, the box a little bit more and I've got their day drinker. I don't know if you can see this in the light, right? So I was pretty excited for this one. And then there's an old fashioned cocktail, which I'll be honest wasn't excited about. And I love old fashions. However, I think that a lot of these bottled cocktails are like low proof. It's kind of gimmicky. It's kind of for, you know, the, um, uh, just to have something to sell. And this was not that this was so good. Um, I, I really enjoyed this. It's like, I think it was 76 proof. Yeah. 76 proof. So it's got to be around, you know, an, an old fashioned that you'd make at home by the time, you know, you get a little water, a little ice in there. Um, so it's got a little bit of kick to it. It's not like super sugary. Like this was really good. So the, the old fashioned rejuvenated my um, curiosity into maybe some other bottled uh, cocktails that are out there because this one absolutely exceeded my expectations. So that was cool. <laughs> I got down a little bit deeper into the box and we've got their rye, their Shenley reserved rye. Um, this is really good stuff. I'm trying to not drink it because I'm, I like it too much and I don't want to have to like write back and be like, Hey, can I get more? Cause this is really good. And then there goes till, um, this stuff is, it's terrific. I think you're going to like all of these. I think it's, you know, it's jumping into that category with that Texas whiskey, those Texas bourbons that are coming out now you know, everybody's heard of, of different brands that are coming out of Texas. And, um, the ones I've tried have been pleasantly surprised, surprised by, uh, and Treaty Oak was definitely one of those. I, I hadn't heard a whole lot about it. Uh, Jamie was awesome. Like I said, I had a great conversation with her. I think you're going to be thoroughly entertained. Um, I feel like our conversation was very, very easy. Uh, really enjoyed chatting with Jamie and I, and I definitely look forward to hopefully getting out to Texas and, and taking a look around and, uh, drinking more of their whiskey because it's definitely delicious stuff and um, it's whiskey that should be drank. So check it out. Uh, leave some comments below. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, go find Treaty Oak on social media. 
give them a follow and uh, get your hands on some of their whiskey. It's delicious. All right. Get into those links below in the description box. Find some ways to support the Barrel Proof Baseball podcast so that I can continue drinking whiskey and having fun conversations and drinking whiskey because I also like drinking whiskey. All right. Enjoy. Cheers. All right, joined today by Jamie Beal from Treaty Oak. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Okay. All right. So we we decided we are we're starting with the old fashioned. Let's let's just break that out first before we get into this. Let's get this old fashioned going because are you going? Oh, I want neat. Damn. Neat is good. Okay. Um, we actually developed this cocktail to be the kind of thing where you could throw it in your Yeti or any cooler um, and take it with you hiking, fishing, camping, and you don't have to worry about muddling. You don't have to worry about garnish. You can throw it on a rock or just keep it cool and sip it. Um, the ABV should be appropriate, both watered down or diluted by, okay. you know, a fat ice like this yeah. um, or just straight out of the bottle into a cup. Or straight out of the bottle. Or straight out of the bottle. Whatever you prefer. So let's start off with the cheers. All right. Cheers. Salud. Yeah. I'm stoked to try this. Yeah, that's going to work. I always think it's like, it's very weird because I don't know if I just am inexperienced with it. But like when you buy a bottled cocktail, like you don't expect it to come out at even 76 proof. Right. Like you think it's going to be like a low proof, you know, like it's um like a watered down version of whatever it is that you're buying, but that's definitely not. Thank you for saying so. That was the goal. Um, we were trying to take this, you know, ready to drink mentality and elevate that. And so this was about 18 months worth of R and D mm -hmm. and we worked steadfastly to make sure we were using, you know, natural flavors, um, our bourbon obviously, but getting it just exactly right to where it tastes like, um, somebody just mixed it up for you and charged you 12 bucks. Um, so the price point is reasonable, both for the 375 and the 750 milliliter. Um, it's a, it's a value product that, that tastes like you pay a lot of money for it. So oh. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. That's delicious. It's, it's good for sipping while we talk through the rest of the things. Yeah, definitely. So tell me about, tell me about you. How did you, how did you get into whiskey? How did you, what's your background like? Uh, what led you to whiskey in general, Treaty Oak? I mean, give me the, give me the backstory. So the shortest version is that um, I'm a botanist by training. I taught high school science for 11 years. Um, I was doing a program through my school district to gain professional development hours um, in an, a kind of rogue renegade way. They wanted us to go out and partner with local businesses in our content area and then bring that relevance back to the classroom so that our students would say, okay, why do I need to know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? Like, why do I need to know about fermentation? Um, so for me as a biology and environmental science teacher, it made sense to partner with Treaty Oak. They also had a need um, and after three days in the summer of 2017, they recruited me um, respectfully 
allowed me to um, honor my commitment and finish one last year of teaching. Um, I felt it was in poor taste to leave in the middle of the summer. So I taught my last class, sent them off to graduation, um, took my family to the beach, and then came out here and I've been here ever since. Um, the passion is for knowledge. Uh, I happen to be a whiskey and gin connoisseur, um, but learning as much as I can about process, science, flavor um, is, is my jam. So no matter what I apply my nerdery to, um, it's going to go 100% just really deep and broad in whatever I'm pursuing. Um, so when I got to come out here, I've learned more about, um, you know, fermentation, distillation, mm. barrel aging. I've learned about different types of distillation. I've learned about business in a way that I did not anticipate learning about um, supply chain. So, you know, the pursuit of my curiosities is what brought me here. And ironically, maybe not, um, that's one of our catchphrases here is pursuit of the curious. Um, we do a lot of experimental distillation, um, a lot of experimental grains and botanicals uh, for our whiskeys and gins. So, you know, we're all scholars out here. And so I found myself fitting in nicely with this, you know, motley crew of misfit nerds. Um, plus, we like to party. I mean, that's not a it's not a bad combination and i think yeah. plus like whiskey people like can like really nerd out on whiskey and and really enjoy it and i think there's a greater appreciation and enjoyment than just like the surface level like let's go rip double shots of jack in a right. you know bar out of plastic cups right um, and so that enjoyment is definitely there i think for people to you know dig a little bit deeper on so if you have the academic background it probably makes it all that much more fun especially when you have a greater understanding of it than you know, your, your general standard whiskey fan. This is true. The organic chemistry training um, went a long way in helping me to visualize and understand what was going on at each step of, of whiskey and gin preparation. We're talking about whiskey today, but we've got gins as well. So I'll try to stick to um, just the, the brown stuff. But, um, you know, understanding the molecular interaction between the spirit and the charred wood, and then how the thermal energy, the physics of that interacts, uh, the climate science of it is, it's almost like I was training my whole life to be able to get to a point where I could understand and communicate how cool it is to make whiskey in a way that a lot of whiskey drinkers just don't understand, but many of them do. Like you were saying, um, there's lots of whiskey nerds out there who really geek out on the stuff that I'm currently geeking out on. So it was a serendipitous um, series of events that led me here, and I'm, I'm glad I'm here. What has been from your transition? What, Of course, my doorbell rings right now as I'm asking you a question where I can't uh, edit that part out. So I'm just going to embrace okay. it. Yeah, why not? Um, what has been the... I guess, coolest part for you and also the biggest challenge for you transitioning from teaching into the whiskey industry? Um, I'll lead with the challenge. Um, the challenge is that I miss the kids. I miss um, having a daily 
soul influx from these bright-eyed students who are about to go out and change the world. I taught um, high school, so it was you know freshman biology and, and juniors and seniors and environmental science. And these kids were poised on the precipice of progress and they were enlivened by the knowledge that they gained. Um, and I was there for the ride and it was just reju re mm, rejuvenating, yes, invigorating, rejuvenating the whole time. Mm. Um, the good news is many of them have graduated and actually come and work service here on our 28 acre ranch. I've got one right behind me nodding his head. Um, so I still get those kids who still call me Miss Beale or they called me Dollar Beale. Um, and so dollar, I, still, dollar. I still get some of that, you know, mm -hmm. soul wealth. Um, one of the greatest parts uh, about this new job is that I have increased my knowledge so much. I have done everything from supply chain, you know, procurement. Um, sustainability includes corporate social responsibility. So I've got to make sure that whatever grains we're using are being sourced responsibly. I go out to the, to the fields and make sure that the practices are what they say, making sure that the farmers are being paid a fair wage. Um, then you've got the other side where it's just like, I want to make sure that the message is being broadcast so I still get to educate. Um, and for me, spreading the gospel of Treaty Oak is what I'm here for and I think one of my penchants. Um, so there's really no drawback other than the fact that I do miss those little knucklehead yahoos in my classroom every day. But the glory of having some of them out here now that they're adults and we can actually sit and have a cocktail after work. Mm -hmm. um, it's gotta be icing, I think. I, f I found that for me, per not to make this all about me, but um, I found it as well, like going from coaching in college baseball where, you know, like you have a conversation with somebody, it's very surface level to now in professional baseball, like if a guy's got real life problems or real life things going on that he wants to talk about, we can go grab a beer or a cocktail and sit down and talk about it. Um, and that conversation t tends to be a lot more authentic and um, a little bit more genuine when you're sitting right. down in an adult-like conversation instead of, you know, like you have to be a little bit guarded for, you know, what we say and what exactly is um, happening in that conversation. So it's definitely better that way. I, I would, yeah. I can understand that completely. I got off the phone right before this with a girl who was a student of mine who's now um, leading the sustainability effort in a new company she's a part of. And she said, Beal, I need your help. And so I was like, girl, I got you. So just having that still connection. And now this mm. woman is, you know, 24 years old, real human going off to do real things. And she still needs her teacher, her friend now um, to go help her. And it's yeah. just, it's enjoyable. It's yeah. That part's sustainable. cool. That part's really cool. Yeah. So what, in terms of the, well, tell me, first of all, tell me a little bit about your kind of your role with Treaty Oak in terms of a day-to-day uh, -day and big picture. Um, and like, where does that head to for you? So the first six months or so were really heavily involved in site-wide audit, both on the sustainability side, as well as the 
you know, standard operating procedure scientific side. Treaty Oak was established in 2006 um, in a warehouse in North Austin and was kind of a renegade crew. Um, they were mashing in blue 55 gallon drums, running rum at that time. So the floor was very slick. Um, I'm sure they followed all of the health codes and everything was up and up. Um, but by the time they bought these 28 acres out here in Dripping Springs, where I'm at right now, um, there was a need, especially with national distribution to really shore up and make sure we were doing everything properly. So I came in and it was a bunch of dudes, a um, couple of chicks here and there, but mostly dudes who were just like, well, this is what we do. We come in, we do this, we do that. And I'm like, well, all right. So where's the data? Mm -hmm. And they were like, K nerd, we don't have data. And I was like, K nerd, I'm going to put hot pink pieces of paper on every wall and I need pH, I need ABV, I need dates, I need initials. If something goes wrong, I need to know why. If something goes right, I want to know why. So um, moving towards tracking that information as both quality assurance and just you know growing up as a company, but most importantly, to be able to find why it was good and why it wasn't, Mm -hmm. um, became a new focus. So I don't know, six to nine, maybe 10 months into my uh, foray here, that was my focus. I took care of that. Uh, the distillers have been on point. Um, they fully integrated that standard operating procedure to their daily. Um, so we have good data. Um, then I, you know, kind of site-wide audited on um, sustainability. So con considering national distribution, you got to think about planes and trucks and carbon offsets and where we're getting our barrels from and, you know, what the offset is. So I did a lot of work um, trying to offset the, the impact, the inevitable impact that we have um, from water to grain to land to carbon. Um, made plans and made connections with a bunch of um, nonprofits to put back where we could. Um, then did a lot of, I do a lot of spokespersoning, spokespeopling, spokeswomening. Um, I do a lot of brand education. Um, it was more live before COVID sure. and I'll be glad to return to that. Um, mm -hmm. Podcasts are, are awesome and fun but I really love people and I'm a hugger. Yeah. So, um, so being able to communicate what we do and how we do it and let me taste this with you right now and let me put my arm around you and, and fist bump you while we're doing it mm -hmm. um, is a lot of what I do. Um, I write a lot of copy, stuff that you see on the website, social media. Um, a lot of the wordsmithing is, is my stuff. If you sign up for a newsletter, I do that. Um, I get to entertain investors and groups that come out. I run the single barrel program out here, both for um, consumers that uh, are buying at liquor stores, as well as individuals who'd like to engage in a single barrel experience. So I do everything. Okay. Now with that, tell me a little bit more about the, I know the renegade crew and the blue barrels, but how, how did Treaty Oak get started? What was kind of the origins of that? 
Um, and like, what has it been like from, you know, the beginnings to where, where it's at right now? So it was Thanksgiving 2004 or five when Daniel Barnes, our founder and CEO was sitting with his father-in-law and family and they were drinking Kentucky bourbon. And Daniel says, cause he's incredibly well-educated. He's just a brilliant dude. And he says, why isn't there a Texas bourbon? You don't have to be from Kentucky to be a bourbon. A lot of people think that, but yeah. it's not the truth. Um, and, you know, a lot of Kentuckians may hold on to that and, you know, that's all right. But according to the TTB, which is the regulatory body here in the United States, to be a bourbon, there are some laws and state of distillation is not one of them. So Daniel says, well, let's make some Texas bourbon. Let's do it. So bourbon is the American spirit. Uh, 1964 was the year that Congress kind of passed this not official but obligatory law that um, bourbon was the American spirit. Um, so there's a lot of history involved in the making of the spirit. It's corn-based. That's not the case with a bunch of um, you know, outside of the U.S. Mm -hmm. age spirits. So then there's the entry proof, which is 125 or less. Can't be more than 125. We can handle that. First use American white oak barrel. We've actually partnered with a cooperage whose primary goal, Kelvin Cooperage, is to take these first use barrels and give them second life, which is rad. Uh, we do that as well. Um, so we look into this whole, thank you, we look into this whole program and decide that Texas whiskey is the way, Texas bourbon is the way. The climate here is so unique and so important to the aging process that we're gonna do it. Um, so we were actually the first in the um, Austin area um, to release a Texas bourbon. Garrison, uh, good friends of ours, they were the first in Texas to put something out. Um, we've got a couple other folks that we're real closely allied with here in Texas. We're, we're friends um, when it comes to distillation, but um, the moral of the story is the goal was always to find the history and the culture of this spirit, revere it, and then innovate. And I think that the world of Texas whiskey is, if nothing less, innovative and damn fine. Why? Okay. So I'm with you. A lot of people that I've even talked to talk about, oh, Kentucky, like bourbon has to come from Kentucky. And they're literally under the impression still that bourbon has to be from Kentucky, which obviously we know is false. Um, but you start to see like bourbons popping up from different regions. And I'm really, it's very interesting to me because like, I feel like somebody at some point in all these different states said, Hey, why not here? And, you know, you see like the fluctuations in weather that probably, you know, traditionally would be um, thought of as why, you know, with the, the wood and uh, the spirit seeping in and out of the wood based off weather, like how is that affected in Texas um, in terms of like, I don't know what Austin's climate is like. Um, I know it's a little warm and a little humid. Uh, but it, does it get cold? Does it get to that point that some of these other states that are now starting to become bigger in bourbon 
Um, do they have the same like climates in terms of the, the shifting or the swings in weather? Um, and how does the Texas climate, how is that conducive to making good bourbon? Well, I'm really glad you asked. That's actually my um, jam. This is my area of expertise. So um, within the state of Texas, which is broad and wide, um, there are many different micro regions. Um, you've got East Texas that gets, you know, 40 inches of rain in East Texas annually. Then you've got West Texas, which gets less than 11. Then you've got this, um, this beautiful um, Balcones escarpment. In Central Texas, there was this, this um, uplift event that happened um, because of plate tectonics. And, um, and what happened was the Balcones escarpment was the remainder of this big lift up zone. And that happens to be where I-35 is. Uh, Interstate 35. So where we are in Central Texas, we get both in extreme pushes of Arctic blast cold air that comes down through the Central Plains and we're the southern extent. And then at the same time, we've got warm moist air coming up from the Gulf of Mexico. And when those two meet, it's massive storms. So we get intense rain and hail and temperature swings up to 70 degrees in a day, which is unheard of in That's most nuts. parts of the world. Yeah. So what that translates to with our whiskey, uh, most notably the February week-long once-in-a-lifetime freeze, um, is that everything increased by a point. The way that the, the whiskey pulled back in so deeply and stayed there um, was intense. And now it's hot. And so it's going to push back in real deep. Um, so, you know, the way that humans tell time is, you know, months, years, decades. The way that whiskey tells time is breaths. It's expansion into and contraction back into. And so when you've got daily and seasonal temperature fluctuations like we have here, what you have is an augmented number of fluctuations. So you could translate that to and call it, you know, added aging or accelerated aging. Um, it's not we're doing anything. It's just that the whiskey's breathing in and back more than it is in Kentucky or Virginia or Tennessee or Scotland or Ireland or Japan or anywhere else. Does that aging process because of the, like you said, the massive swings that could happen day to day. Um, does that help speed up the aging process um, at, with, with a, like the same consistency as maybe it's like, it's either hot or it's cold. Like maybe in Kentucky or Indiana, it's like, it's cold. It's not really going to get warm. Um, and that swing for, you know, the a course of a couple of months might not be very drastic, uh, versus like the day-to-day -day possible swings in, in Texas. No, there's no consistency. We've never had seven days of frozen. You know, yeah. um, this, is, this is an experiment that we're living in right now. Um, and the good news is we've got whiskey to sample to help us cope with this unknown weather pattern. Um, you know, the, the variation that's happening is to be recorded and to be tasted and, and qualified 
Um, but yeah, no, no one knows. Um, what we've had in the last 18, 24 months here um, is different than anything we've experienced previously. And it's different than what we have in Kentucky, Tennessee, um, Virginia, like I mentioned, all the places on earth, uh, we're all having rapidly changing climates. Um, wetter, wetter, hotter, hotter, uh, colder, colder, all the things. So we're letting the whiskey inform our opinions on how that climate is doing. The plants, the animals, that's one thing. But the whiskey we can taste. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm in. Now, I haven't, I openly admit, I have not gotten into Texas whiskeys. Um, I think I told you that before when we talked. Like, I've just not, um, I've not dove in. I've tried one that I didn't care for. I'm not going to name names. Um, yeah. But I, but it was just wasn't, it wasn't for me. That specific one that I had was not for me. Um, well, then let's try the ghost hill. Let's, yes, let's do let's that. Let's get the Shinley. How's that? Let's go to ghost hill. Ready? Yeah, we're going, we're going to go still. There it is. Okay. All right. Okay. So tell me, tell me before we go, tell me a little bit about this one. So this is the Ghost Hill Texas Bourbon. This is unique in that it is um, a Texas grain of glass bourbon. Okay. Fifty-seven percent yellow dent number one corn, thirty-two percent soft red winter wheat grown in Texas, uh, soft weeded bourbon. 11% barley, soft weeded bourbon that gives you that, that sweet and round feeling. Um, so if you'd like a Weller's or a Larceny, this is a jam. Right. Um, we did partner with um, Barton Springs Mill, who gives us access to local farmers in the state who are doing things right, uh, in our opinion. So there's no GMO, there's no pesticides, they're letting their crops rotate. They're giving the ground the time to rejuvenate. Um, and yet we can still put it on market at a reasonable, valuable price um, where folks are still gonna be able to access this good bourbon and not shy about the price. It's really good. What do you detect? I definitely okay so i like weeded bourbons um this has to me a little bit more spice on it than a it's got like the softness of a weeded bourbon but it's got some spice to it that i really like um, that's a two-year okay so i guess and i saw this like it said the age at least 18 months is that something for like a texas bourbon 18 months in a texas bourbon based off like the weather patterns you were talking about could be I guess the same as maybe somewhere else that's aged three or four years. Is that accurate? Correct. So the age statement is going to change on the label soon because everything mm. that goes into a bottle will be at least 24 months. Um, we found our sweet spot is between, you know, two and four years. Mm. Anything beyond that gets a little too overly oaky in a way that we're not down for. Um, and I know that it's hard to change the the minds of those in the bourbon community mm -hmm. who are like, well, shit, if it's eight years or younger, we don't want it. Yeah. Well, it's... and that's okay. But if, have you tasted a three-year Texas bourbon? And many of them haven't because we're all, 
all of us Texas distillers are new to the game. How, how um, often do you feel like the, I, I say this with pure reverence, but the fanboys who will taste a bourbon and go, mm, it's too young for me. It's like, really? Cause it's 12 years old. Like I don't do people, does average people really know? I know some people that have more experience can tell, like it maybe tastes a little bit younger, but like this doesn't taste like a young bourbon to me. Well, I'd say go with your palate. Yes. And like, given the fact that like there is a different climate and, and you're, it doesn't have the same consistency in Texas as it does in other States. Like, again, I understand if you go to Washington, you're going to have more consistency in the weather and you're going to go East or West of the Cascades and you're going to get a certain, you know, consistency in the weather patterns and you're not going to have that in Texas. So like, I feel like an 18 month, 24 month aged bourbon out of Texas uh, might actually have the properties of a four year or whatever, you know, uh, a more aged bourbon um, from other states. Well, and I'll harken back to my explanation of how humans tell time versus whiskey or any barrel aged spirit. Um, it's the number of breaths into and out of barrel. And so if you're in a, you know, coastal climate where humidity is high and you've got very limited breath expansion and contraction, um, that's a, that's a slower a aging or maturation project process. Um, that's a slower maturation process than what we have here. Mm -hmm. When we've got extreme days where a high weather system comes in and we've got 110 day and it's 70 at night, um, mm -hmm. that does an intense job on the whiskey in the barrel. And so there's a deep push in and a deep contraction out. Now, when we've got moisture coming in from the Gulf, that's mitigated. So there is no rhyme or reason there is no recipe that says this bourbon's going to taste like this after this many years and the fact that texas bourbons are really new to the scene five to six years released um only speaks to the fact that what we're doing is experimenting um with one of the most incredibly fun spirits to work with we can control so many factors, but when it comes to, to climate, that's a wild card and it makes for good whiskey. So is everything, so, so everything, all the ingredients, everything's coming out of Texas. Yeah. I mean, I have to assume it's a Texas whiskey, but you know, like you hear from other people that they're like, Oh, we're from Colorado and we source things from Canada and Iowa. And it's like, well, it doesn't seem Colorado ish to me. Well, so I'll say barley is hard to grow in Texas. So sure. the, if you're drinking ghost till right now, um, the barley that's in that is in Montana, grown in Montana. Um, we've got Texas barley coming shortly. We had to do several experimental plots to be able to produce the same flavor profile to be consistent with ghost till and grow down here in this significantly different climate than Montana, Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, but we're doing it. So very shortly, what you'll see and what you'll taste is 100% Texas grains. It's Texas water. We do everything here on site from, you know, um, fermenting to distilling, um, maturing, bottling, selling, drinking, everything happens on site. Yeah. I'm in on this one. I like this. I like the ghost. Is there, what's, yeah. is there a, uh, is there a story behind the name to it? Oh, for sure. 
So um, these 28 acres that I'm on right now are colloquially known as the Ghost Hill Ranch. And locals have two different explanations for why it's been called that. Um, we are at a very high elevation relative to the rest of the, the rolling hills of the hill country of Texas. And one of them is that there was a former resident named Abe who was a hot rider. Um, he and the guy who lived here, I guess he was a next door neighbor, would ride their hot rods up and down Fitzhugh Road, um, which is just in front of our property. And Abe died in a fiery crash. And, you know, so the story goes, you can still see his uh, lights flashing and hear his horns honking. Um, I've never seen any of that or heard that. And I spend a lot of time here, but I'm not a ghost story person, I'm a scientist. So my preferred explanation is that we've got this low-lying riparian zone. Um, we've got a spring-fed pond down at the bottom of the property. And when the dew point is right, um, it just fills up with smog and smoke and looks like, I mean, you can't see your hand in front of your face. Mm. And so considering the number of folks that moved through here pre and post uh, Anglo settlement settlement of this area, you could see how you'd be camping and there's a dense fog and you wake up and you can't see in front of your face and you don't know who's gonna cut your throat and take your cattle or take your goods or mm -hmm. just kill you and leave for dead. So it's ghostly. So Ghost Hill Ranch, um, it's just a, it's a spooky place where folks have been drinking whiskey and watering their animals and having campfires and probably barbecue and stuff for hundreds of years. I'm afraid of most everything. And so that would freak me out. Um, if I hear and see those types of things driving, um, I would, uh, wouldn't enjoy that very much because I'm afraid of most things. So you should come out. It's pretty yeah. cool. If, unless I see lights in the middle of nowhere for no apparent reason or, those types of things, then I'm out. Okay. What's next? Um, wait, well, I got to finish this one. Hold on. <laughs> so are we on to day drinker? Yeah, we're going day drinker next or are we going rye next? Biscuits. Your call. Let's do it. Let's do rye. Okay. All right. Shen Shenley? Is that what we're calling? Shenley. Okay. Let me tell you a story about the Shenley Rye. Are we right. ready? Yeah, tell me about that Shenley Rye. Okay. Okay. So at 100 proof. Yep. 10 Shenley years. Rye is approaching uh, 13 years of age. So we bought all the remaining barrels, which is about 40 at the time, of this mash bill from the Shenley uh, Distillery up in Quebec, Canada when they shuttered in 2018. So okay. June of 18, we brought those barrels down. Um, they were aged nine years already uh, in Canada in second use barrels. So again, that kind of moderate temperature flux and in second use barrels. So if you look at the spirit itself, you see that light straw color mm -hmm. um, coming from the fact that the most of the char had already been removed, but 
what you're about to sip has been aging three more years in those same barrels, but in the Texas climate. So it's really a tale of two cities. You know, it's, it's Quebec, it's Dripping Springs. Um, what we've got is a dandy low rye bourbon, 53% rye, 51% is requisite, um, um, but 53% is uh, what we're sipping here. It's got notes of green apple. Yeah. Um, get some caramel on that as well. So almost like a, you know, a fun fair uh, experience. It's easy sipping enough to proof it to 100 and bottle it. And we do a twice annual release of this. We do some single barrels. Um, mm -hmm. This is so sought after and so exclusive that once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. Um, so I'm hanging on to these. I've got a couple of rebarreled, double-barreled um, options for the Shinley rye, but I feel like rye is really enjoying a resurgence right now, especially among nice. um, my demographic, which is middle-aged women. Um, they want a little bit of spice in their whiskey. They want to drink it neat and taste all the complexity of that flavor, of that profile. Um, and so having this be double-barreled in Canada and then brought down to Texas just adds to the story. It's it's an interesting um, bourbon for sure, or whiskey for sure. I like it's an interesting whiskey for sure. There you go. That was better. Um, I like this. I like the. I so I was not a big rye fan. I don't know why. I had a certain rye out of Pennsylvania that I did not care for, and everybody's like, "Oh, rye is good." Rye, is, whatever. So I tried it, and I was like, "That is." Yucky. I don't like that at all. And <laughs> yucky. yucky. And since then, like I've started to get into more rise and I think they're really good. I feel like there's like a, like a place for the really high rye, you know, like you get that 95% rye, like 5% malted barley, um, or some of those like hundred percent rye that are finished in something else. Um, I think they're super interesting. Um, so I really mm -hmm. like this one. I think it's got like that nice rye, the hundred proof is nice. And I feel like if it was lower, it would be like, I don't know. I don't like the low Too gentle. Yes. Like you, it needs something, you know what I mean? Like you, so you could probably go lower. For, point. What's that? Sorry. Uh, leading into the ghost hill. Um, that's an important point is that, um, you know, rye tends to get really spicy really quickly. And when you're talking about Kentucky bourbons or, you know, previously to the last 10 years, standard bourbons, mm -hmm. Rye is usually one of the requisite grains. Um, you know, there are four grains that make a whiskey. Corn's got to be one. Mm -hmm. um, you've almost always got to have malted barley. But if you go wheat or you go rye, that's up to you. There are a few examples of having all four. Um, but for the most part, you either use rye or you use wheat. And early experimentation here in the Texas climate proved that rye got too hot too fast. It was very overly spicy mm -hmm. and um, we weren't down for that. that. That's not what we were trying to accomplish. So the decision to go with a heavily weeded 32% wheat bourbon for the Ghost Hill um, was obvious uh, early on. And what it gives is that sweet rounded palatable flavor that stands up against the climate that we have here that we can't control. Um, again, in Kentucky, rye grows well, um, stands up well that climate. So this is just yet another example of 
the many facets of what it means to be an American bourbon um, and consider all of the influences, all of the variables that exist. So are you, like if you go old fashioned personally, if you're making it yourself and not going with the treaty oak old fashioned, do you like a rye whiskey or a high rye bourbon? Or what do you like to mix with personally? I like a bourbon old fashioned. I'm sweet and round. Okay. Literally so, okay. and physically. <laughs> I'm keeping that in there, by the way. <laughs> as you should. Not getting uh, But I do like this as a Canadian rye with Texas influence, low rye, um, still approachable, lots of those green fruits and flavors coming out, um, yeah. really easily sipping, um, also makes a dandy cocktail. Um, we put this rye in uh, an old fashioned recently. And again, I'm more of a bourbon old fashioned girl, but it was, it was fine. Yeah. Um, I, I like the rye. I like the rye old fashions because I like a little bit of spice with it because I think the sweetness in those like kind of doles down the, the spice, but it still adds a little bit to it. So so does Aaron Franklin of Franklin's Barbecue. Oh, yeah. You should talk to him. I need barbecue. There's no there's not really good barbecue in Arizona. You stopped him. Made me think about barbecue. So there's that. Thanks. Well, come on out and we'll serve you. No, I need to make. I need to make a trip to Texas. I have, it's my favorite country. Like I love Texas. Um, yeah, I love Texas. I'm going to say that. Leave it there. I fell in love for the first time in Texas when I was 16 with the waitress at the Waffle House. Her name was Shelly. Um, I, I remember her too, 1996. Um, okay. So I don't know went off on that tangent. Sorry. Um, okay. So when you get the rye coming down from Canada, does that, like how much of it changes? Like, have you tried it when it comes directly in from Canada uh, before yes. you age it more in Texas? Yes. And like I said, um, if I wasn't clear, I apologize. But when the Shinley distillery closed up shop, so we bought all the rest of the barrels of this particular mash bill. They don't make it anymore. Mm. No one makes it anymore. There's no more of this on earth, except for the now 21 barrels as of last check, which was today, mm. um, that we have this. Um, so once it's gone, it's gone. So, I, um, I mean, I, I guess my question would be from the time you get it directly from Canada till it gets bottled and sent out how much of it, how does that change? Like, what is the change that you see in that flavor profile between them? It's a significant influx of caramel. Mm. Um, it's those, ironically, those early bourbon flavors, um, the caramel and the vanillins um, that come in with a first use. But I think it's just because of the intense pressure that, that gets put and they just go way deeper into that wood sugar than they've ever done mm. in the previous nine years in Canada. Because they're coming to us mature. Yeah. It's a, got all of them at the same time. Sure. Brought them all down here at the same time. How much do you, how, how much are you guys housing right now? How much are you guys aging down there in like Austin area right now? Uh, total volume or just yeah. the rye? Just volume in general. I'm just curious. Three, 3,500 barrels. Oh. Um. We've got them distributed between our rickhouse and uh, a rickhouse bar and a couple other barrel aging locations. 
Uh, we've got a bunch of experimentals, about 400 different experimental barrels that we've got. We want to put them in specific locations and just see how the sunshine, direct, you know, direct rain um, works with all that. So um, yeah, it's on on the order of four to five thousand barrels currently. So with this being more limited, you're saying don't over enjoy this then and uh, no, enjoy the shit out of it. Well, I'm going to enjoy uh, it. I just don't want to crush it. And then it's gone and, um, you know, gone forever. How long do you plan on living? I mean, YOLO. All right. Right. Right now. Why not? Okay. I'm in on this. I like the ride. I like the How ride. Do you too? Okay. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. All right. Okay. Next up. Daydream. Ghost Hill. Where are we going? Ghost Hill. Ghost Hill. Go so. You want to go light to sturdy? You tell me. Let's go day drinker first. Okay. I'm changing my. Yeah, because we got to go. Yeah, day drinker, and then finishing with the this go so right. Yeah. Okay. So we'll do day drinker. Okay. This just like again. I'm assuming by the name that this is one that you can sit back and enjoy for a potentially longer period of time throughout the course of the day. That's the idea. So I'm going to do this. Okay. Mm -hmm. We've got day drinker and old, uh, sorry. Ghost Hill. We've got day drinker and ghost Hill. This is the same mash bill, same grains. Same barrels. The only difference is distillation method. So the juice that is in the Ghost Hill bottles right now is going to be coming from our 500-gallon pot still. In January of 19, we switched over our operation to continuous column distillation. So we've got a 28-foot continuous column still. We've got a 3,000-gallon mash tun and four 3,000 gallon fermentation tanks, um, open air. So we scaled up our production. And what we found was the column still juice, as opposed to the pot still juice, really produced a more grain forward uh, white dog. Mm -hmm. So we thought, well, perhaps since we're moving in this direction, uh, we should release something that really highlights that. So the Day Drinker Texas Bourbon is proof down to 80 so that it's a sessionable bourbon. Right? Mm -hmm. It's a little less intense than the 95 proof Ghost Hill. But again, same grain, same process, with the exception of the fact this runs through a column still and comes out incredibly, like you can taste the details of these heirloom grains we're using. We use yellow dent number one corn grown up in the Texas Panhandle. We've got soft red winter wheat grown in central Texas. And then um, currently what you're tasting now is gonna be malted barley coming from Montana, soon to be coming from Texas. Um, so the the grain profile is there. Um, Had a, uh, like a cereal, cereal right. nose to it? Yeah. Cereally, cereal, cereally. Cerealistic. Is that a word? Should be. Made it up. 
It's got a serialistic nose. I would agree with you. Like Captain Crunch meets cornflakes. Mm -hmm. Cheerios with the wheat. Yep. Yeah, I feel like I could enjoy that for a long period of time. Yeah. Day drinker is an easy drinker. So that's mm -hmm. the whole point of that. Um, Big Brother is the ghost hill. Coming in at 95 proof, aged at least two years. In first use, char three American white oak barrels from Kelvin Cooperage. Um, same as the ghost hill, same as the day drinker. Um, but this one's just a little more stout, got a little more berry and stone fruit notes in there. Mm -hmm. A little more caramel heavy. Yeah, I like that. I don't like 80 proof bourbons. Right. And well, I it just, turns out that's a thing. Yeah. Um, because I feel like, and again, I'm not going to name names, but there is a well-known big distillery that has an 80 proof um, mm -hmm. with a paper thing on it. And I don't like it because it tastes like it's, um, as at 80 proof, it's like they tried to go from like a liquid caramel. I don't do caramel caramel, um, covered up with like heavy rye and it just right. doesn't, it doesn't taste like there's just no like fluidity to it. Um, it's very like almost choppy, like, like they're trying to create something that's just not there. You know what I mean? I this think I'm with you. Proof point is a really important concept when it comes to flavor. Mm -hmm. You can change by one or two proof points. And the experience uh, olfactory is just wildly different. Yeah. So the consistency that's there, knowing that for the standard proof goes till we've got to maintain that 95 proof mm -hmm. comes with the blending. And we'll have several different barrels that we move through. And um, and you'll taste that shortly here nice. um, with this single barrel. Yeah there's uniqueness to each barrel but the the striving to establish consistency um comes with proofing and and tasting yeah quality assurance how much how much do you get the opportunity to walk through and taste uh the different whiskeys at the different parts of the aging process more often than i'd like okay <laughs> as, uh, as often some, as other people would like to be able to yeah, do it uh, people think it's glorious but sometimes you're like well it's 10 o'clock on a tuesday morning and i've got to taste whiskey and i just i don't want to sure but it's awesome yeah uh, and it's I mean, important so yeah we do it all things considered i'm sure it could be worse sometimes we try to wait till after lunch seems a bit grown up but we yeah can, I, we can always expectorate so Yes. Tasting and expectorate—that's an important part as well. Uh, okay, I'm putting you on spot. What of the Ghost Hill Day Drinker and the Rye? What's your favorites? Ghost Hill. Okay. No contest. No really? question. Yep. Okay. All right. I like it. I'm in on that. I'm in on all of these. I think they're delicious. Awesome. I go to the Rye. Well, she's a dandy. Yeah, I, I mean, she's a beaut. Yeah, I like I like the uh, I like the proof on both of them. the The day drinker would be good. That's a day like I know that I wake up on a Saturday morning, and we're gonna be up until the uh, Pac-12 football game is over at 11 p.m. And I'm gonna enjoy this for the day. 
Uh, I'm not jumping right in on the, the rye and I'm definitely not going on the single barrel, but I could, I could get going on the, uh, the, the day drinker and enjoy it the entire day. I feel like they all have a place in time, but Definitely. if I were to choose one for marriage, it would be the ghost hill. Hands okay. down. Okay. I like it. But let me taste you on this. Uh, what do we got? 876? 887. 887. Do this. Okay, hold on. I got to pour this. I need to finish this first. What's fun about this is that it's the same mash bill as both the ghost hill and the day drinker but this is cask strength and it's been aged in a very specific location to where it gets a lot of intense uh sun okay. and it's three years three months so for a texas bourbon this is old so give is it a nose and tell me what you smell I will tell you that I, a minute ago, while we were talking about the day drinker, I grabbed my water and nosed my water inadvertently and um, didn't smoke whiskey. I did the same thing. So judgment free. Um, it does not smell like, I don't, I get zero like alcoholy, like ethanol nose to that at all. But what do you smell? I'm getting there. I don't want to say caramel because it's a cop-out. It's there. I know. I get a lot of chocolate. Maybe. Dark chocolate? Like chocolate-covered cherries. Wow. I can get a little dark chocolate, like cocoa. Maybe a cherry DP. Okay. That's Dr. Pepper in Texas speak. I know. I've been to Allsup's. Get their uh, burritos, dude. Yep, chimichangas. Yeah. <laughs> drive. I Good. used to drive. I used to drive from Albuquerque to Lubbock, and like right <laughs> yes, as soon as you West get to Texas, end, holy yeah. cow! If you don't get a chalupa or a chimichanga <laughs> heading into Allsup's, you're not living. <laughs> and a big red. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a really nice nose. Okay, so taste it. Oh, that sticks around. That's nice. It's burning my throat. It's really nice. Um, High proof. What is it? 123? What did I put on the bottle? 110? 110. Yeah, 110. Um, that's really nice. That is like a... I think it tastes way. I think it tastes completely different than the than the the regular ghost hell. I know, but it's the same stuff. So I'm gonna add some water, give it a swirl, and see what happens. Hmm. I still get a lot of like licorice root, which is bizarre. There's like the, yeah. Um, what is the, what's the word? It's like a, um, gosh, what's, I'm trying to think of the, like, a, like an absinthe, like the, uh, the flavor right. of absinthe. What is that? Like, it's like a black licorice. licorice. I'm trying to think of the official word of it. Um, it's a root. Licorice root. Is that the one I'm thinking of? I'm literally thinking well, of Well, wormwood 
is what makes absinthe. There's no wormwood in this. TTB, are you listening? There will be now. This is really good. It's almost barbecue-esque. You know, the smoke and the leather yeah, that comes in there. They're definitely smoke. A lot of, of, and that's what our, our jam is, is to pair all this with barbecue. Yeah, I'm in on that one. Yeah. I think it's totally different than the ghost hill. I like I, I don't I think it's way but different. it's ghost hill. But it's tasty. It's not fun. You've got to come down and do a single barrel tasting with me. I've yeah. got eight barrels of ghost hill pulled that are within the same run or the same couple of months of life and tasting through and experiencing and talking about the chemistry that mm -hmm. occurs um, within the barrel is my jam. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like I would uh not like that. I think I would the second double negative. Um I feel like I wouldn't not. That's oh yeah. A, then that's a quadruple negative. Same. I know this is baseball three, so it's baseball mm -hmm. four. I go here or wiggle. But I can't I can't do a rate like if I do a three, I can't I feel ridiculous. Yeah, you gotta go like this. Yeah, it's three. Even if you're counting, it's like one, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. I think you should come out and hang out with us. I think so too. I think you guys would really enjoy that. I mean, I would, I would also, <laughs> but, but yeah. Uh, um, my, my burgeoning MLB seven-year-old would very much enjoy that. He's a huge fan of yours. He um, stalked you on social media. Okay. He wants to be a Dodger. Okay. I, he didn't say Astro. So that's, that's good. Um, I'm from Dallas, so. Oh, you're fine. Rangers are fine. I mean, Nolan, Nolan Ryan. Like, yeah. I have a glove. My third base mitt was signed by Rafael Palmero. Oh yeah. I got a ball from Jose Canseco and one from Padre, Padre Rodriguez. That, but there were some there were some good days with the Rangers with like those guys, Juan Gonzalez. That's what I'm saying. Um. Yeah. There were some. That there was some my good era, days. early '90s. Yeah, that was a good. That was the best era of baseball. Like, I don't, I think people are forget that it wasn't that long ago to me. It wasn't that long ago. It was but a long time ago, bro. When I hear my 12 year old nieces talk about back in the nineties, I'm like, you can, you can shut up. Yeah. I was there. I was, was awesome. I was a teenager back in the nineties. So shut your face. <laughs> um, okay. Now I got another question. Yes. Getting away from Treaty Oak for a second and then we'll get back. But I get curious because I hear one of the one of the uh, places I guess I've talked to a number of people from is Colorado. And I'm very interested in the Colorado kind of whiskey scene because I feel like it's really like blowing up and they're making good whiskey there. And I've seen that kind of happening in Texas with like you guys, Garrison Brothers, um, Balcones. How do you pronounce it? Balcones? Balcones? Yeah, Balcones, Balcones. Um, it just seems like there's a number of really good distilleries um, putting out really good whiskey out of Texas. Do you feel like it's the kind of that same thing that you hear from other distilleries in terms of like regionally how like you want Texas whiskey to be really good? or people in Colorado want Colorado whiskey to be good because like, it's like everybody has their own place in it, but you know, you're kind of building your own space within that 
um, within like that space of Texas whiskey? Like, how does that work for you guys? Like commingling, uh, with it as an industry? Um, what it's been so far is nothing short of collaborative, like growing down. We have connected with folks from Kentucky, Colorado, Virginia, Tennessee, all over the world. And everybody is down to talk about their process and their, you know, what they expected versus what they observed. Um, there has been no, I would say, unruly competition. It's mm. been, especially among the Texas group, group, it's, you know, like, let's do this together. What are you learning? What have you experienced? How can we improve? Mm-hmm. I had this issuation, like, you know, situation. What are you doing? Um, so globally, nationally, there's been a lot of camaraderie. Um, there's been a lot of opportunity for us to share information and uh, ideate over what our struggles are and what our products are and how we can improve or change or adapt. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. Uh, nothing but fun. Yeah, I think that's rad. Like there, that's so like that's cool. Because I mean, you're all like you, like inherently you're competing against each other but it's also like in a way you don't want to get lumped in the texas whiskey sucks category so it's better if everybody's doing well it seems like yeah i've got a bourbon women's event up in kentucky in august and a couple of those folks you mentioned including garrison iron root uh, tx whiskey will all be there together and we're there in Kentucky representing what Texas whiskey means, yeah. what it is. All of us have different processes and, you know, slightly different, you know, recipes. And But the fact is we're there representing in the birthplace of sure. American bourbon what Texas bourbon is. And they're sure. welcoming us with open arms. Um, yeah. We're bringing that's briskets, cool. so that's good, too. That does help. Yeah. Um, Yes. Brisket, brisket and Waffle House. I think it would probably be my, I don't know if I'd leave Texas if I went there. Cause I'd, I'd have brisket and then drink whiskey, go to Waffle House probably for late dinner, early breakfast, and then start drinking whiskey again. Uh, Sounds great. Yeah. I don't really think there's, there's a negative in that. No, okay. I didn't see anything as long as you're Ubering. Yeah. 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 Safety first. How, how far from Austin are you guys? About 15 miles southwest. Okay. Um, so, you know, it depends on what part of Austin, but the closest gyms, which is the Waffle House of down here, mm-hmm. is 15 miles as the crow flies from where I'm standing right now. Okay. All right. So, so. is that, so that's, so okay. So if people were coming in the Austin to you guys is an easy trek. What is it like in terms of trying to um, come out and visit you guys like distillery wise, um, you know, visitation, any, you, well, you guys are in Texas. So COVID's not really, you know, there, but um, in terms of, you know, things that you guys can or can't do right now. Well, I'll tell you um, we've got 28 acres of open air. Uh, Much of it is covered by ancient live oak trees, so heavily shaded. 
Um, but we've got open fields as well. We've got a big, huge garden, organic garden that feeds the restaurant and the cocktail program, the gin program. Um, we're dog friendly, kid friendly. Um, bring your own chair, but we've got a bunch of picnic tables that are spread out around the property. So people can come out even during the height of the COVID scenario. Um, people were able to come out and celebrate in this kind of park-like situation where you could be way more than six feet away from anyone else and enjoy mm -hmm. the sunshine, the vitamin D, um, the vitamin W. Um, uh -huh. Well played. And all the good barbecues. So uh, we're open Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, Wednesday through Saturday is noon to 9 p.m. And then Sundays, we do a brunch 11 to 6 p.m. This weekend, since it's 4th of July, we're doing a special 4th of July menu with barbecue uh, accompanied by hot dogs and hamburgers. And that's going to be an a, an abbreviated time frame. So we'll be open 11 to 4 this uh, 4th of July Sunday. I feel like, uh, like it's probably a good place to spend 4th of July. Yeah. Well, it's a good place to get your food and your booze and mm -hmm. then go find some water. Yeah. Yes. Fireworks. I mean. I like fireworks. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I I knew it. I just I give off that firework guy impression. Hundred percent. Okay, that's what I've been going for. Send you a video for. after this. Okay, perfect. Yeah, big firework fan. I I remember going down. We were in like the Houston area in Tomball a few years back yeah. on the Fourth of July, and it was uh, it was the hottest place on the entire planet at that yep. specific day. Uh, it was just so gross, but we got to see fireworks, and I forgot all it's about like the Venus. Humidity. Yes, very Venusy. <laughs> Uh, but I, I but think it's I, Venus ish, <laughs> Venus ish. Um, but yeah, I'm serial ish, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think Texas, uh, that's a fun place. I, so I have to imagine, like, if there's a Texas whiskey trail in the works or uh, that's there, or even if you just You've make it that. yourself, how far apart is everything? Like, are can you hit like different distilleries over the course of a day if somebody or, or a couple days? For sure. Um, it depends on which part of the state you're in. Um, it'll take you two days, three days to drive across the state. Uh, the majority of the distilleries in our area are concentrated within the Central Texas kind of region. You could hit, you know, three, four, five really impressive distilleries in a, in a day, um, as well as a ton of breweries and wineries and um, just different experiential um, adult beverage focused mm locations. Um, North Texas has got a handful of really dandy options, including TX Whiskey and Iron Root, good friends of ours. Um, Central Texas, just north of us, um, and Waco is Balconies. Um, down here, we've got Andalusia, Treaty Oak, um, Garrison Brothers, uh, mm. Revolution Spirits, One Shot. I mean, that's all on the same road as us. Oh, wow. Not Garrison, uh, they're a little bit further, but um, there's lots of options. There was a Tex Texas whiskey trail. Um, I don't know if that's dissolved or not. So you should probably look into that before including this part. You can kind of make your podcast. own. Just drive from one to the other. It's the trail. 
I love them all. And everybody, Ben Milam, I mean, Gulf Coast Distillers, everybody that we know who's in the Texas whiskey game is cool. That's cool. Plus, you can go to Amarillo and get a 72-ounce steak if you eat well, it all for free. way up there. It's quite It'll, nice. It would take nine hours to drive from here to Amarillo. <sighs> Such a big state. Yeah. Thank you for noticing. I, I, I've been there. I've been I've been there a number of Huge. times. So I've seen that. Yes, it's, it's <laughs> asinine if you think about it. Um, but yeah, it's just showing off. But yeah, I like it. It's good, and that whiskey is outstanding. Um, Jamie, I really appreciate your time. Appreciate the whiskey. This stuff's delicious. Good. Um, I'm glad you like it. Where uh, social media? Where can people find you guys? So we're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and we've got websites. So treatyofdistilling.com. We've also got waterloogenusa.com. Um, we're also Alice's Restaurant, um, which is alicestreatyoak.com, okay. which is the restaurant on site that represents really these 28 acres. So cool. Um, I'll send you something a little more looped in. Perfect. Um, all right. If you guys get a MySpace started, back, I want to get MySpace back. And I think this would be a good way to get it going is distilleries. I see where you're going with that. That's just me. Um, yeah. my friend, it's nice to know yeah. you. Hey, thanks. So, uh, this one's hey, you, but... Come on out to my yes. neck of the woods. We'll hit some balls and okay. drink some whiskey. I'm in. I like both of those yeah. ideas. Cool. Okay. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Cheers, brother. Take care. Good night.